lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. There we are. And greetings. Happy Thursday to all of you. We are live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre. Totters and all of you, let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. You can email the program, Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Look for Steve Dace on MeWe, Parlor and Gab. You can also get some good censorship if you like that. And I don't know who doesn't. Uh, go to YouTube.com slash Steve Dace for censored clips of the program. Or go to Rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. Coming up on the program today, it's a jam-packed Thursday, Theology Thursday. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, our friends who put those debunked videos out we've told you about in the past have a brand new one, Tackling the Sanctity of Life. We'll talk to them about it coming up at the bottom of the hour. Three non-political questions coming your way as well. And then the weekly prophet of woe and lamentation, Daniel Horowitz, will be joining us. It's a rare two-guest day here on a Thursday. But before we get to all of that, of course, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by True International Depression. Biden gave his first speech to Congress last night inside a socially distanced, limited capacity auditorium to a crowd of muzzled senators and other Congress people while the National Guard still stands post outside. We have to do more than just build back better. The bill back, we have to build back better. He talked about gun control. No amendment to the Constitution is absolute. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Russia. I made very clear to Putin that we're not going to seek escalation, but their actions will have consequences. They turn out to be true, and they turned out to be true. He said he'll squeeze trillions of dollars out of America's top 1%. We take the top tax bracket. For the wealthiest 1% of Americans, those making over $400,000 or more, back up to where it was when George W. Bush was president, when he started, 39.6%. And some accomplishments he's proud of. Together we passed the American Rescue Plan, one of the most consequential rescue packages in American history. After I promised we'd get 100 million COVID-19 vaccine shots into people's arms in 100 days, We will have provided over 220 million COVID shots in those 100 days. Our progress these past 100 days against one of the worst pandemics in history has been one of the greatest logistical achievements, logistical achievements this country's ever seen. Senator Tim Scott provided the GOP rebuttal of sorts, focusing in on racialism. People are making money and gaining power by pretending we haven't made any progress at all. By doubling down on the divisions, we've worked so hard to heal. You know this stuff is wrong. Hear me clearly. America is not a racist country. It's backwards to fight discrimination with different types of discrimination. And it's wrong to try to use our painful past to dishonestly shut down Debates in the present. CNN headline, Joe Biden to showcase his moderate radicalism in his big congressional address. Learning Chinese today, today's phrase is... There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead 
is slightly alive. 几乎全部死亡和全部死亡之间有很大的区别。Moving on, the New York Times published a story yesterday alleging the pandemic death toll on New York nursing homes was even far greater than previously known. The story says aides to the governor repeatedly overruled health officials engaged in a sustained effort to prevent the state's own health officials from releasing the accurate death toll, and did it all while Cuomo was pitching and writing a book on his supposed leadership during the pandemic. Checking in on Dr. Fauci. When are kids going to be able to take off those masks and play outside at the playground? You know, that's going to be the same thing that I mentioned a moment ago. It's going to be a situation. Well, first of all, kids will ultimately wind up getting vaccinated. Science. Some good news: the Florida House of Representatives passed a bill to permanently ban so-called COVID vaccine passports in the state, not only by the state government but by businesses as well. The Senate passed a version of the bill last week, but it'll head back there before being signed into law. The bill makes permanent Governor Ron DeSantis's executive order on the matter from a few. Weeks ago, West Virginia Governor Jim Justice signed a bill into law yesterday banning dudes from competing on women's sports teams through the collegiate level. Daily Defiance will head to Florida, where Peter was shopping at Costco with a mask below his nose, was accosted by a Karen, and got arrested for it. I got Karen in the in, in, in the aisle, telling me, "Oh, I can't can't have my mask down while I was minding my own business." He doesn't have a mask while he's in. The Costco warehouse. He doesn't have a mask on. Are you arresting me? Yes. Meanwhile, in Kansas, Hunter says he was able to shop in Costco with no mask. In California, Matthew says employees at the 24-hour fitness gym he works out at took turns chastising him for not wearing a mask. He said the cops who came to tell him to put on a mask or leave were kinder. Than the employees at the gym, and then there's Adrian in Raleigh, North Carolina, who calls himself the lead alchemist at the Brine Bar of Raleigh. Quote: Suddenly, it hit me. In a foreign land, there are embassies that are sovereign and unaffected by the oppressive political power surrounding its borders. So I decided to create the first state embassy in American history, and by unanimous decision of one, I became the ambassador of the Floridian Embassy in North Carolina. Well done, all. If you have A video or a picture of your defiance. Send them to me on Twitter at Dace Producer or hashtag Daily Defiance, or by emailing them to DailyDefiance1776 at gmail.com. And finally, this headline from the Babylon Bee: CDC now recommends wearing a seatbelt even when you're outside the car. And that's what happened while we were away. So um, diplomatic immunity, then. I, I like exactly. it. Exactly. Yes. I mean, that, yeah. that is that's brilliant, actually. And that's, that is very, very well done, Aaron's Montage. Uh, brought to you by uh, Better Spectacles. Have you uh, have you bought a pair of glasses before, thrown them in the drawer, and then just never worn them again, been told just to go home, get used to your progressives? I've got help for you. Better Spectacles is now offering authentic German-engineered Rodenstock eyewear for the first time here in the U.S. Rodenstock is a 144-year-old company and the world's gold standard with over 500 patents. That's why Rinaldus Maximus also wore Rodenstock glasses as well. Uh, their expert opticians specialize in difficult prescriptions, astigmatisms, and those who experience problems with progressives. So the technology has now caught up with your situation and they can help you. One of their specialties is helping those with near and immediate vision. That's a comet problem. Uh, for those of us that uh, look at a phone or a computer all day. So go spec lenses from Rodenstock. Use an advanced algorithm with more than a million patents measuring 7,000 
points in the eye to help you see up to 40% better. So go to betterspectacles.com slash Steve. That's betterspectacles.com slash Steve. Schedule a teleoptical appointment. Now, you're not going to need to leave your house and you need to know. I mean, Better Spectacles is not just an online company with low quality offerings. They offer the same expert consultation as if you were sitting right there in their store with the best trained opticians in the country. And right now they want to offer our audience 61% off introductory rate if you go to if, for their ghost spec lenses with the free handcrafted rodent stock frames. If you go to betterspectacles.com slash Steve right now, 61% off big savings at betterspectacles.com slash Steve. So really the, there's there's two issues I think we should discuss out of Aaron's overtime. Uh, and they're the, the, the two speeches that were given last night. Now, in terms of political impact, this was really a, a State of the Union speech. These things never matter. doesn't matter who gives them. They, they, they generate a new cycle for a day. And then that's about it. Every now and then, they do show you which way the people running the country are trending. And I think of the, it wasn't a State of the Union, it was a joint session of of Congress speech after 9-11, but a similar kind of a setting that George W. Bush gave. And the amount of unity that that projected and magnified both to and from the country. I think of Bill Clinton's State of the Union after losing the 1994 midterms, where he famously stood up and said, the era of big government is over. And in his second term, he signed welfare reform into law, (laughs) the Defense of Marriage Act, uh, several balanced budgets, um, the um, the crime bill was actually in his first term. It's funny, I've lived long enough now to see it's the Republicans who attacked the crime bill. When I was a kid, Democrats attacked it. It was a good idea to put criminals in prison. Now it's apparently not anymore. I, I Who knows, I, I can't keep track. And you live long enough, uh, you know, uh, the parting on the left is now the parting on the right and their beards have all grown longer overnight. This one, I think... Had no memorable specifics. I only watched it because I was asked to appear on our Blaze TV wrap-up show last night. I mean, you guys didn't watch, right? Correct. I mean, I typically don't watch most of these. And I typically do. Okay. Um, I would not have watched last night, particularly the night before the NFL draft. I mean, I'd have been on the the, uh, Pro Football Focus PFF website mock draft simulator for like three hours last night trying to come up with the perfect draft for the Detroit Lions. That, that was going to be my night last night. <laughs> All right. It's a hot time in the city, folks. Uh, <laughs> that was going to be my night last night until I got called out of the bully. All right. To, to, uh, to join Blaze TV and Glenn with the team uh, from my home last night about the speech. And man, the idea of, of, Spending my evening being exposed to this stuff after I have to do it all day to make a living didn't appeal to me. 
which is why if I had not been asked to be on Blaze TV, I would not have watched. So I made a, a compromise with myself. I watched, but I didn't listen. Okay. <laughs> True story. Always finding the win. Yes, there's always a win. But I also wanted, I also wanted, because I, I knew what he was going to say, right? That's probably why you guys didn't watch. You knew what he was going to say. You knew that, that we were going to get a, a laundry list of, um, what was that headline in your montage? Moderate radicalism. Moderate, moderate radicalism. We were just going to get a laundry list of this, right? So, I mean, I, I followed clips and t- the text online on Twitter as, as, the, as it was unfolding. But I, I watched with no sound because I just wanted to look at the visual and what this was projecting to people that were watching. And I will tell you, some things definitely stood out. There was a moment last night, first of all, dude, I, 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 I don't think enough credit has been given to the White House apothecary. Guys, we were way past last oatmeal call last night. This is the longest first year State of the Union ever I saw last night. 62 minutes. It was 62 minutes 62 long? 62 minutes long, yeah. And um, to keep Weekend at Bernie's going for that long, to keep Dementia Joe going for that long, upright, I'm not going to say alert, but upright, to keep it going for that long, I, I just think you got to tip your cap to that guy. I mean, whoever or, or gal or, you know, it is the Biden White House, so non-gendered specific being, whoever is White House apothecary earned their keep last night. I mean, they, whatever it took to get him, whatever it takes, right? This is the uh, two year anniversary of Avengers, whatever it takes. And, you know, it took a cosmic level of Adderall, but whatever it took, whatever it was, meth, I don't know what it was. All right, but that was really yeoman's work last night that should not go, I think, unnoticed by the unnamed and unknown White House apothecary. Some other things that stand out to you when you watch with no sound on. In all my life, and I will be 48 or 47, I'm kind of forgetting now. One of those two. You're going to be 48. 48. I'm yeah. going to be 49. Thank you. All right, in July. Thank you. Um, in all my years, I have never, I mean, like never, ever, in any setting, not on a, on a, uh, looking at something live, not looking at something taped, not like archival footage, like in the history of what I know of human existence, I have never seen someone hold a fawning stare without breaking stride for as long as Kamala Harris did for Joe Biden last night. I, 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 I mean, I've never seen anything like that. That was, that's Guinness Book of World Records worthy. That she held that fake, this is, these are the most important words ever spoken stare. I mean, Guys, get you a woman that looks at you the way Kamala Harris was looking at Joe Biden for all 62 minutes 
last night. It's almost as if she has some level of experience casting long, fawning glares at older men of great power. But since we can't think of any prior examples, this was a Herculean task that she performed last night. I, I defy you two guys. When we get done here today and you have some time off, just take 62 minutes of your life. You'll thank me later. And just watch this entire speech and watch her never break stride one time. The fawning dear leader stare continued on. And guys, I, I thought after the last administration, you know, Mike Pence could be asked a question. Uh, Vice President Mike Pence, uh, what are your thoughts on um, uh, what to get your wife for Mother's Day? Well, you know, uh, of course, she loves tulips, but I was talking to President Trump and nobody picks tulips better uh, than President Trump. He's got a real eye for those things. I mean, Pence could work some groveling remark. No matter the subject matter, he could work some groveling dear leader remark about Trump into virtually anything, anything. Kamala, though, just had the look. I mean, it, that I was, I was really drawn to this last night. I, I, I couldn't stop looking at her, looking at him. It's, wow. I mean, it, it was an impressive feat. The other thing that stood up or stood out, Nancy Pelosi, and I say this just as a human concern, she does not look well. Um, she, did, she did not look well last night. And I think we should just kind of leave it at that because I'm dead serious. That's not any humor. She did not look well. The president looked very frail. I don't know. The clips Aaron showed, is that's, that's the most sound of his speech I have heard yet. Uh, there was a moment last night watching, and I don't know if you, didn't, if you don't pick up on this, if you're fixated on the audio. But there was a moment last night where I got up out of my chair. I got concerned for the president. There was like a double blink. Now, it's, it feels like it, it lasts longer without the sound to distract you because your, your brain is processing what was just said and wondering where the conversation is going next, right? But without, without that in, in the picture, you're just focused on the visual. And there's this moment where he goes to blink and he starts a blink on one eye and then the other eye blinks like at the same time. And then his eyes don't open. It's like for a good full second. And again, you're, if this was your grandfather, somebody of this age, right, with his level of dementia and frailty, what would you be thinking? Something's seriously wrong. Thankfully, um, because whether you like his politics or not, to have a president of the United States... Um, uh, Stroke out would, would not be good for the visual to send to the rest no, of the world, correct? Probably not. But I kind of thought that was going down for about a half a second. I stood up really upright in my chair like, oh, no. And then it was like it never happened, at least visually. And he went like visually right back into the same pose and everything he was before. But it was it was a little frightening, actually, for a second, I thought. That I, I thought this, oh, boy. All jokes aside, oh boy. But visually, 
he looked old. The camera panning to Mitt Romney, he has aged in Joe Paterno years in the last four or five years. He looks really old. Everything last night when you looked at it. And, you know, this is the, this is the Democratic Party, the young, progressive, diverse party. Everything looked old. Um, Cruz literally dozed off. He didn't ask me. I think he made a mistake going there and wearing a mask. I think he should have made taken the fine L and made a point like he's making in the Senate. But that's a side show issue. How um, about the optics of the great logistical success of vaccination? As he said, while he's everybody's vaccinated, in front of an empty yeah. masked yeah. audience. Yeah, everybody in there is vaccinated. Yet they're all wearing masks, socially distanced. It it looked visually. Again, just forget the content because the content doesn't matter really. And they don't matter in almost any of these. I thought several of the finest moments of the Trump presidency were when he gave these joint session speeches. Is he president right now? No. They, so they really don't, they don't really matter, really. But I, I thought the weakness that was the frailty that was projected. I thought America looked like a relic watching this last night. I thought it was it, it was like Kamala Harris came across with that unbreakable gaze, like a, a figure in a wax museum. It, it looked like we were at an exhibit, watching like a um, a holographic or visual presentation. And here, kids is a country you may have read about uh, in some of your history books, the United States of America. Um, we have an exhibit here from its last days, and then we have a sample from one of its final president's uh, joint uh, or, or speeches to, uh, to the uh, joint session of Congress and to his countrymen. Take a look at what a civilization looks like when it's on its gasping last breath. I thought that's what, that, I thought that's what it looked like last night. I thought the amount of weakness that was projected to our enemies around the world was unsettling. And it, it looked like file footage. If, if it weren't an HD or 4K, depending on what you're watching, if it, if it didn't have the latest technical accoutrements, I, I thought it looked like you were watching, you know, archival footage of a civilization in a death throes. That, that's what it looked like to me. Just looking at it visually. Yeah, you can't stare. What do you say when you stare into the mouth of madness? You stare in the mouth of madness long enough, sooner or later it starts staring back at you. Yeah, We've been debating all year long about, you know, the return to normal and this is not sustainable for this long. But the problem is that based on that madness principle, sooner or later, the elasticity of sanity just goes away and you can't snap back. You're just parked in crazy town. Just the rubber band eventually breaks. Yeah. Or another way of putting it in another in another paradigm is the center cannot hold. Exactly. And then eventually the thing just collapses upon itself. It gets stretched out, stretched out, stretched out, loses its structural integrity, and the center can't hold, Correct. right? This this just looked like a, a mortally wounded body breathing a, its last couple of gasps in a in a cultural hospice before we all call it clear. Uh, okay. call it. That that's visually visually that is what it looked like to me and And it made me sad according to the rules of occam's razor that's probably what it is 
Which brings us to Tim Scott's rebuttal. Now, in fairness, I had subterranean expectations for this going in. Uh, he does come from the consultant professional class um, uh, wing of the party. He's been fairly unremarkable uh, as a senator. Really hasn't really fought for or pushed on any issue at all we really care about. It's not like, he, I don't know that he's been terrible. I just also don't think it, it, it's been unremarkable. You know, he's just kind of been a body, basically. He's just there. Um, he'll vote the way you want him to most of the time if it's easy, but understand if it's hard, you know, you're down to the same four or five names we're kind of always down to in those situations, right? So he's a Republican is what you're Basically, saying. Basically, he's just a generic Republican. Yeah. I thought though, and, and I didn't, I've not read a transcript of his speech. I had to go on the air with Blaze TV. Uh, right as he was beginning to talk or or as he was talking, I was waiting to go on. And so I really didn't get a chance to react to any of it until after I got off the air with Blaze. But um, the clip I did tweet out last night, it doesn't really matter what else he did or didn't say. You cannot ignore the visual power of a young black man going on national television and saying, let me be clear. America is not a racist country. Um, and for a guy that frankly has been disappointing on some of these issues, he, he uh, was terrible on the cop uh, issue last summer. Tim Scott was frankly just terrible on it. But for him to boldly just put that out there, you cannot deny the political potency of that. I thought it, it was worded perfectly. I thought it was delivered perfectly. I thought, and then you saw the reaction, Uncle Tim trending and everything on Twitter. That's the exact reaction you're hoping to get. Because most Americans hate that crap. Hate it with a passion. Most of them do. And the minute he went there and said that, and said it as effectively as he did, Whatever you think the odds of Nikki Haley being the Republican nominee are, they are lower today. I don't know how much lower, and I don't know what they are, okay? And of course, we're all in a holding pattern while we wait to see what Trump does. He keeps saying he's definitely considering it, but he's really not making any definitive moves anyone would make if they were going to run for president at the same time. And so, again, it's Donald Trump. It's all very mercurial. There's no way of knowing, but assuming he does not run, Whatever you thought, you know, we had our buddy Bob Vanderplatz on here a few days ago and him and I, we talk about, you know, the early states in Iowa, New Hampshire and South Carolina. There's always what those swim lanes, right? You got to figure out what lane am I in? And you can't play in more than one lane at once. You try, it doesn't work. So, you know, am I in the, we used to call it the establishment, the professional class lane. Am I in that lane? Doesn't mean you cannot pick up a few stragglers of people in other lanes to join you, but you can't win or run a successful campaign if you don't know who your initial base is and build out from there, right? And we were talking, uh, Bob and I were actually just on Monday about how it seemed like Nikki Haley was just going to occupy that kind of quasi-establishment professional class lane kind of all by herself, right? Yeah. And we don't know how many people are still in that lane anymore. It used to be 25, 30% of the party. Probably isn't that many people anymore. 
It's still probably somewhere in the double digits, though, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, that ain't true anymore. Some form of a star was born last night. I don't think you can deny that. And it got the exact reaction if you're in the if you if you've if you've got an investment in Tim Scott's future political stakes, you got the exact reaction out of this from the exact people you were hoping for. And you also wanted to send a, a, some message to your party or to your base that you're not going to totally abandon them on culture war issues. In fact, you got Scott up there uh, picking up in a, you know, a down power line on the most toxic culture war issue in the country right now. That's a powerful visual. And, you know, the professional class doesn't care about issues, really. They care about narrative and biography. And I kind of think if we're going to, you know, they're both actually from South Carolina. They're both good friends. I, I don't know. I, 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 I would think the biography of the former share of the kid descended from sharecroppers standing up there and saying America is not a racist country probably has more political upside to it than whatever you think Nikki Haley's biography is, is a successful working woman that identifies with all those suburban moms we lost. So we can all debate how good of a night last night was or wasn't for Joe Biden as president. What I don't think is debatable is it wasn't a good night for Nikki Haley's future presidential prospects. More in a moment. You know, we've been talking about Rough Greens for quite a while now. It's this supplement powder that you mix in with your dog's food so that they now get all the good stuff that's been stripped out of their food uh, back in their diet. Same thing we do these days. That's why we take so many supplements nowadays. All those vitamins, minerals, nutrients, or at least a lot of them, uh, pre, probiotics, uh, omega oils, etc. A lot of those things, antioxidants, are stripped out of our food for a, a long time shelf life, mass distribution, consumption. So we have to make up for it by spending even more money on supplements. Same thing goes with your pet's food too. That's why there's rough greens. Now you may be thinking though, it sounds great, but how do I know my dog's going to like this, Steve, as much as your dog cap does and our dog cap does like it. One way to find out, how about we just give you the jumpstart bag that we've been telling you about for about a year now. How about we just give that to you for free? You pay for the shipping but we'll give you the 14-day jumpstart bag for free to get you started. See if you don't see a difference in your pet, but also if your pet will take to it. Your pet likes it. Just go to roughgreens.com. That's R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com. Uh, or give them a call. 833-ROUGH-DOG. Again, that's 833-ROUGH-DOG. Remember, the bag is free. You just pay for the shipping. Pre-COVID, we introduced you to some friends of ours uh, that put together uh, we like these videos, slickly produced, well done, just a few minutes in and out for the short attention spans of today. The, the series is called Debunked, and they tackle a lot, a lot of the current flashpoints, culture war issues, challenges to a biblical worldview, etc., and they debunk them in a few minutes or less. Their brand new one is out now. We're going to feature it for Theology Thursday and talk to its voice. It's about abortion. Take a look. All right, here we go. This one's going to be a rough journey that triggers some emotional dissonance and challenges some preconceptions, but hey, that's what Debunked is all about, and these things got to happen to get to the truth of a matter. So, consider yourself warned, and now, imagine you're out one day, and you see someone dump a bunch of babies on the side of the road. Then, you see a man with a hatchet. He walks over to the babies and starts, well, you get the picture. 
What would you do? Give them a thumbs up, take a selfie, assemble the Avengers, or try to stop the man right there on the spot? Now, with that in mind, I ask you these questions. What is the difference between that scene and the everyday scenario inside thousands of abortion clinics? What are the essential differences between what's in the mother's womb, the unborn, and what's outside the mother's womb, the born, that justifies the mass elimination of the former, but the collective protection of the latter? Well, to help you answer that, I present to you the SLED test. What's that you say? Well, it's this, I say. Does being a human being with human value and human rights have anything to do with our size, level of development, environment, or degree of dependency? Is a large middle-aged man more human than a smaller 14-year-old boy? Should a fully developed female be granted more human rights than an eight-year-old girl who is not as developed yet? Is someone more worthy of life if they live in a mansion in America and less worthy if they live in a shanty in Africa? Is it okay to eliminate a nursing boy but not his six-year-old sister simply because the nursing boy is more dependent on his mother? No, 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 and of course, no. So then the unborn isn't any less human, void of their human value and human rights simply because of SLED, right? So now what? Well, some claim it's in the science, man. Just follow the science, they say. But when we do, it's clear from the earliest stages of development, the unborn are distinct, living, and whole human beings. In fact, the scientific evidence has been so clear for so long that even way back in 1981, a U.S. Senate report stated this. Physicians, biologists, and other scientists agree that conception marks the beginning of the life of a human being, a being that is alive and part of the human species. There is overwhelming agreement on this point in countless medical, biological, and scientific writings. Okay, now fast forward a few decades. High-res photos, 3D scans, and brilliantly detailed ultrasound help us see with our own eyes what's in a human being's womb. And guess what? It's a human being. Wow. What else would it be? A piano? A whale shark? Just common sense. So now what? Well, there are those who actually know it's a human being. It's implicit in their language, but they use emotional appeals like, He's a financial burden. I don't want it. It's an emotional drain. It's not my fault. I'm not ready. It's not fair. She'll stop my professional progress. It'll get in the way of my desires and dreams. It's cruel for an unwanted child to be in this world. The child would be a product of incest. I can do whatever I want with my child. Okay. Can you use any of those to justify the killing of the born? No. So then why the unborn? Look, enough is enough. This topic might be psychologically complex, but it's certainly not morally complex. We all understand that how you feel doesn't justify what you do or get to do. I mean, think about it. Uh, Your Honor, uh, the reason I ran over those people is because they're an emotional drain. Officer, I, I know I killed those people, but if I didn't, it would have stopped my professional progress. And now, allow me to add this for good measure. When it comes to the possibility of actually hurting or killing a human being, shouldn't we err on the side of precaution? I mean, most of you wouldn't run over a box in the middle of the road if for a second you thought there might be a puppy or a kitten in it, right? Why not go to the same lengths to save and protect human babies? Just asking. Bottom line, human beings, all human beings, from the moment of conception, have value simply because they are human beings made in the image of God, period. Psalm 139.13 declares that God needed you together in your mother's womb. So precious is life that God commands us not to murder, but instead tells us to love one another and do nothing out of selfish ambition. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. The minute we think we are more valuable than others for any reason is the minute we think others are less valuable. And that line of thinking is the root of racism, sexism, massacres, school shootings, bullying, hatred, and all kinds of other injustices that most of us rightfully stand against because we don't want human beings to be hurt or mistreated and that should go for the unborn too so this idea that the unborn are less human than the born and that it's okay to eliminate them has been debunked adios i will tell you i've been involved in pro-life activism ministry my entire career 
that's the best four minute visual presentation, 10 minute, 15, 20, 25. But what's great about it is it's only four. Perfect for our short attention spans today. That's the best pithy debunking, pardon the expression, uh, and deconstructing of the belief system and the fallacy behind the killing of our children I've ever seen. And the craftsmanship there, how excellent that the storytelling is there from a visual presentation, the quality of the animation and everything else, meaning that they understand that they've got to use their talents and gifts to amplify the principle. Let's talk to the voice you hear there, Carl Kirby. It's good to have you back on the show. Carl, how you been, man? Steve, I have been blessed, and I have to make one correction. I'm not the voice. Why do, why do I always think you're the voice? Yeah, it's Bub. It's, uh, Bub is the co-creator, and he is the, he's the genius, the mastermind, man. Um, but yeah, I, I don't want to take any credit away from him. He is, he's amazing, and thank you. Thank you for your very kind words. It means a lot, man. Tell us, you guys have done a series of these for the last few years, where this idea came from, and Ooh. and 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 why you decided that it need to, uh, that our principles needed to be communicated this way. Boy, I tell you, it's a long story that I'm going to condense down. Bub is a guy that I met because I had seen some videos that I had been trying to get made, uh, a parody off of the Mac and the old Mac PC parody commercials, and I wanted to make some. Hey, I'm a creationist and I'm an evolutionist because I deal with that quite a bit. And I couldn't get them approved. And I found one uh, that was so perfect. I wrote these people. Turns out, I say, whoever this is, I love your videos. I'm a fan. He writes back, says, I'm on your mailing list. I'm a fan. I'm going to California, Porterville, California, to speak. I say, come on up. Bring your family up. Let's meet. Let's get together. He sat and he watched me speak 11 times over the weekend over uh, a lunch at, a, at an Italian restaurant. I said, Bob, we got to go after these, this younger generation. You're not going to get them for 15, 20 minutes. You got to come after them. Bing, bang, boom. I said, I want I want uh, these things, these short videos. That, let's take the topics because when I speak at camps, I hand out index cards. What are the questions that are keeping you from selling out for the Lord Jesus Christ? Turn them in. That's what we're dealing with the rest of the week. And that's our whole agenda. Let's take those things and then go after after them visually, and uh, I called it Dirty Jobs Me Smith Busters with a Ford F-150 look and feel, because that was the commercial that was really popular <laughs> back then. And that's how Debunked was born. And uh, it's just been going ever since. And we are so, the team that we have now with Rob and Zach as the animators, phenomenal. I am, I am blown out of the water that God has allowed us to do these types of things. And guys like yourself are willing to share it. I, I sincerely appreciate that, Steve. Well, please pass along my compliments to every person you just named, because I will. That, is, that is elite level quality, craftsmanship and work. And the narrative it weaves is very powerful as well. Why the theme of debunked? Why, why go with that? Because when you're working with the younger generation, which I do a lot of, they have so much bunk. I mean, you're dealing with this as well. Mm -hmm. You may not call it a bunk, but you're debunking the your book, by the way. You know, I got to make a comment on your book. Number two, what's wrong with you? Your number two sales? How, how can you let Obama beat you out, man? <laughs> I mean, well, he's got to give his away free to well, be They're part one, of it. They're anyway. giving that thing away free. Yeah, that, 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 that helps. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only way they're beating you is they're giving it away free. I mean, when the company but, hosting the book is giving it away for free, tough to beat that guy. But I hear you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm like, we have to go after this stuff. They're, these guys, 900 hours a year, uh, 80 to 85% of the Christian homes send their children to government schools to be trained by the world, to think like the world. 
and we wonder why they think like the world. It's reinforced with 900 hours a year in the school system, I should say, then 1,064 of television, and then 936 hours a year in the video games. So all of this focused, direct teaching to get these young folks to think in a very different manner is coming after them. And I'm saying, we got to go after them. I'm not going to mm -hmm. compromise on the word of God. I'm not going to compromise on the quality to, quality to the best of our ability. Let's take the arguments on and show them that when you start with God's word, it actually makes sense of what we see in the world around us. What, what you're doing with the approach that you're taking. And, and again, I, I can't, I can't emphasize this enough. I, you know, I, I would assume when Paul made tense for people, uh, if they weren't shoddy, that he, right. that he put the best effort he could into that because it would reflect on his own apostolic character, right? Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and, and I think, you know, we've, we have this theme on our show this year. The answer is us to encourage our people to get off the sidelines now and, and get engaged. Stop outsourcing their responsibility to a, yes. a political party that either can't or won't do what they want them to do and do it yourself, right? But right. understand, though, we, we have to do it well. It's not just yes. enough to show up. And because of the, the value system we represent, it maybe even has to not just be well, but better. Because there's, yeah. a, there's a built-in objection because of what we're going to, what we're going to use our craftsmanship to communicate comes with a, an extra, a next level objection that maybe other things do not, which means we've mm -hmm. even got to not just do it well, but better than a lot of the other options. Yeah. And, and if you're, you're trying to tackle something that is lacking fundamentally in our culture, I talk about it all the time, that's critical thinking. Yes. And, and that's where the, I think why I think the visual craftsmanship of what you're doing is so important because it would be difficult to stand in a room with your core audience and make just these i know i'm a public speaker i get it it would be hard to stand in that room and just make those points audibly with a, with a lot of people that have only heard emotional arguments and have not been given permission really to critically think yep. one way or the yep. other on an issue right Yep. And that's yep. where I think the, 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 the stunning visuals there sort of pierce that darkness, if you will, shatter that glass ceiling. And, and, and now you're provoking an emotional response mm -hmm. with, with the level of uh, the craftsmanship there. But it's in order to engender and encourage critical thinking, not to have, well, here's my emotional response versus your yeah. emotional response. You know, Steve, to, to tie exactly into what you said there, man, you, you, you're a better spokesperson for those videos than I am. That's exactly what we're trying to do. But we're training a generation, too, the younger generation. In Atlanta, Georgia, outside of Atlanta, Georgia, we have 20-year-olds that we're training. We take them out on the street, and they're asking questions of, of people just engaging in conversation. They'll ask them a question. Then they'll show them the debunked video because it's directly opposed. What do you think about this? They go there. Hey, can I show you this short video? We show them the short video. I can't believe the responses that we get back from right. people. Right. It's a 21st like, century version of telling a parable. That's what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, wow, I never thought of it like that. I mean, we, we have people that are just like, you know, I still don't agree with you, but man, you make some great points. If we can walk away from a conversation and people are thinking, yep, that's it. It's man. not always about winning the argument, brother. It's about no. starting one. Exactly. It, uh, we we keep we we have this notion we're arguing and debating as a culture all the time. We are not arguing and debating at all. We are counter narrative trolling each other. That's not the same yes. thing uh, as a as an argument or debate. All right, we're almost out of time. Where can people find yeah. more of these videos, Carl? 
if they go to debunked.org, all of the videos are on there. But if they text that number down there, about 51555 in their messaging software, and they say, adios, life, Audio space life. Uh, fill out the, they're going to get an immediate link back. Hit that link. There's a form. Fill that form out. They're going to get a link to all of the current debunk videos. When the brand new ones are released in the future, you get them before we release them to the general public, as well as booklets, all of those things. We just give them away because we want people to have tools. All right. So if you're listening to the podcast here later on, or you're uh, listening to the live radio feed, can you put that back up on the screen so I can see it there, Aaron? Text 51. 51- Five 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 one and then three fives five one five 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 text adios space life to five one five 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 adios space life to five one five 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 Carl good to see you again brother great work thank you Steve God Appreciate bless it. you man you too take care gentlemen your thoughts on the conversation we just had with theology theology Thursday but also the quality of that video. It's remarkable that we live in the times we are in when the arguments that he's making are so utterly unassailable. You, you, this is what you've mentioned many times about your tours down the sewer that was um, cable news. Yes. And just how you, there, you realized fully, like, not only is there, like, you thought there'd be a little bit of there there. Yeah. There, there's I expected just, far yeah. more difficult task yes. and realized, no, it's actually worse than I thought. So yeah. the message is already there. Then it comes to what packaging can you get to get them to bite on that hook? And so, masterful job. Yeah. I, you can't come into this arena and this space without... And expect to and expect to reach the audience specifically that they're trying to reach without having excellent content. And then if it's if it's packaged in a way that's excellent as well, then you go into a whole nother stratosphere. You go to a whole different stratosphere of of reach and of acceptance or at least willingness to hear your message. If that same if that same audio uh, would have just been played in, in mere audio form on a podcast, it would have been really well done. It would have been really good. But when you can see and visualize that, it, it, it you can reach some eyes and ears that you would have never thought mm-hmm. possible. And on an issue like this, where it is, as the video said, so cut and dried, we have so much. I, I think the word bunk is 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 perfect there. There is so much bunk that that kids uh gen z my generation and the generation afterwards are exposed to so many preconceived notions and so many just confusions that you have to you have to present it in a way that just cuts through all that noise and gets to the heart of it and that video did it perfectly that's outstanding craftsmanship we'll come back with hour two here in a moment Back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. You can email the program, Steve at SteveDace.com. You can also uh, look for Steve Dace on Facebook, MeWe, Twitter, Gab, and Parler. Follow at Steve Dace Show on Twitter. And the last couple days, by the way, I've posted up some links to some interviews on other shows I've been doing recently. I had a really good uh, interview in particular with uh, John Solomon over at uh, Just the News. 
uh, for his podcast. Uh, if you want to listen to those things as we get more in-depth on Fauci and Bargain and the most powerful and dangerous bureaucrat in American history, uh, you can get the links to those. Uh, we post those up on all, all of our social media accounts. You can also get censored clips of the show if you like at youtube.com slash Steve Dace, although I can't imagine why you'd want that, but okay. Uh, rumble.com slash Steve Dace show is another option. And then if you are a podcast listener, if you choose that option, uh, we appreciate it. We would ask that you show your appreciation for us, though. Hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Give us a five-star review if you like us and haven't done so yet, because the more of those we get, the more I am told it helps the program. I don't really have any evidence of that, but I'm just going to take it on faith. All right, so please... Uh, Keep those boosts to our fragile male ego coming. Thank you to all of you that have done one of those five-star reviews for us already. Um, Argentina is where they make world-class 90-point wine there from grapes grown in vineyards at 9,000 feet. And it produces some incredible wine from our friends at Patriot Wine. We just got another supply of this. You guys each got a couple extra bottles of this. Correct. You guys have all tried this. All three of us have. We all absolutely loved it. Notes of blackberry, dark cherry, leather, smoke. Great for grilling season. Now that grilling season is here, red wine goes great with steak. Uh, If you want high-end imported foreign foreign wine at low-end prices, we've got your back right now. PatriotWine2021.com is where you can go. Get 50% off the wine and... 50% off the shipping. You cannot beat that for high quality imported wines. No need for a promo code. Just go to PatriotWine2021.com. Again, 50% off both the shipping and the price. So half off on both ends for outstanding wine at PatriotWine2021.com. Let's get to three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, three non-political questions, because we need a break from the demise and fall of Western civilization. Hopefully good. I actually remember to do it this week ahead of time, so set your expectations sky high and prepare to be something. Question number one, (laughs) what was it like for you becoming a dad for the first time, and how did it change you immediately? Um, I, I mean changed me immediately in that this was the first thing in life that I even began to understand what unconditional love meant. And what was a struggle for me the entire time Amy was pregnant with with Anastasia is that you know, she was so excited and everything. And, and I mean, I was excited, but it just, I, I'm not carrying the kid. It, I, and I kept wondering, is there something wrong with me? Like, shouldn't I be more excited? You know, I fell asleep, I think, at every Lamaze class. And then we didn't thankfully take it the next two times. 
because none of that stuff helps you when you get in the when you get in there, man, and the bullets start flying. Like none of that helps you. Okay. What hospital were you? I'm at? just telling you, it just doesn't help. All right. It just I'm, can I give you can Aaron? Let me give you some advice, man. Did you give birth uh, in Baghdad or something? <laughs> when it gets going, do not get in her grill and go. All right. No, dude, you'll be taking your life in your own hands. All right. It just. Did you guys do any of that or use any of that? Any of your pregnancies? Uh, we, we did natural childbirth. Okay. We were born at home. Okay. Yeah. When you, get in, when you get in there, brother. Yeah. Just don't. Just, Hospital better have good snacks. Just, that's, all I, that's all I say. Oh, boy. <laughs> but uh, um, I really thought and I was really worried uh, all of that pregnancy that, man, I'm I, I don't get it. I'm not more connected with this thing and something's wrong with me. That all changed the first time uh, they put her in my arms. Everything instantly changed. And um, and there's, for me, more to the story. I, I mean, this is a tipping point moment, her birth for my own life story, my my faith journey, everything. So, uh, what changed for me was everything. Other than that, was just a, you know a, a benchmark event in life. But there, my entire life changed, and it's the first time I ever began to comprehend what unconditional love actually meant. Yeah, I, that moment again. You you can. There's just some things that, even if you are. Uh, have an expert level of understanding theoretically experientially there's no there's no more powerful snap than when in our, my case she's there and you you feel that level of love that is clearly god's love for somebody you don't know you don't know them yet. They have no personality. It's just a little baby. And you would I'd take a bullet for them. You'd lay down in traffic for them, whatever it took. Uh, the, the scene at an even more profound level in the nativity, which is one of my favorite scenes, is when Oscar Isaac, who plays Joseph, and he's just masterful in that movie uh, at the beginning of his acting career. But when the Lord is born and he holds him up mm-hmm. and... The, the the look mm-hmm. on his face of just joy and awe and amazement and you know I, I yeah I felt that to some extent um, and it, yeah it happened right there in uh, my bedroom so uh, I don't I'm trying I this is such a good question and one that merits such worship quite frankly. Mm-hmm. That I I I want to say more, and I don't have well, the words. I just minutes, go to the glory so. to God. All right. Uh, well, good answers, both of you. Uh, question two: What's the best genre of music, and what's the best era overall of music? Um, I mean, I, I you want to take this one first? I'll let you go first on this one. Well, I I think if take this seriously i think the 
the best genre of music is classical music. Correct. I think, I mean, what, and I'm now expert on it. I, I don't listen to it regularly, but what it accomplished and the greats accomplished to make still when you have a score to a movie mm-hmm. star wars the class i mean the epitome of pop culture it's scored with classical music basically with yeah. john williams because that's what makes see, you, the, see to me john williams is a is a genre of music there's there's a, i mean you know guys like jerry goldsmith who did the academy award-winning soundtrack for the omen for example have done have had success but most of what we know in 20th and 21st century america about classical music is john williams musical scores yeah i think it's like its own genre but but it speaks to my answer it's it's that it's the timelessness of what we call classical music but it 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 it's a st- it, it marks the time. It the best stories are told in our hearts. This is tied to the first question. There's a score to the, all the great stories, and they have classical music. They don't have '80s rock or '90s Kurt Cobain. It's classical music is fundamentally, I think the the alpha and the omega of what music can accomplish. So for me, I'm gonna. I have a very nuanced. Because this is difficult for me because, you know, I, I still have a great adoration and love for the, the, the classic rock that I grew up on, for example. Um, you know, I was, um, and then, you know, you have eighties music and then the grunge scene in the nineties. I was so into that. Um, I love country music from the late eighties to about uh, the mid nineties, that era. You know, so I listen to Prime Country on my Sirius XM a lot. I love movie scores. Um, I I have a very nuanced uh, love for worship music in that I really love the deeper theology and the older worship music. But I'm just, I'm more attracted audibly to the contemporary sound. And so I struggle sometimes to find a contemporary sound that includes that level of awe and reverence. That's why I love when you when 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 that sweet spot is connected. I love it like when you have like a song like I Can Only Imagine by Mercy Me, for example, does that. But there's one genre of music that that hits on a lot of those things. You know, because I you know, I I talk about the difficulty of the environment that I grew up in. And one of the reasons I do that is because it goes back to what we just had this conversation with Carl Kirby from Debunked last hour. It's it's my attempt to to emotionally connect with people that may not understand the value system I bring to the table, but I want you to understand that I'm so diligent and committed to it because I've been where you are. I've I've suffered like that. I understand dysfunction, poor choices. I, I, you know, uh, uh, abuse. I, and that's why I'm so committed to trying to reach the next generation to not buy into the worldviews that that cause those things, right? Mm-hmm. But there were also plenty of times growing up. We had. I've got a lot of great memories growing up too, and I got a great appreciation for 
that you know, for that era of music because of the home I grew up grew up in. And so there's one genre of music that gives me nostalgia, has some classical flair, and hits a hits a worship niche at the exact same time. Christmas music. Particularly in like a the big band to the Frank Sinatra era. The the stuff that Dean Martin and Bing Crosby and Sinatra, that that era, Ella Fitzgerald, that that era of music did, kind of, you know, I, I, we, had, we had great Christmases when I was growing up. Every year we had great Christmases. And then, you know, dad would get on winter layoff for his construction job, be home all day with the demons in his head. And that's why to this day, I don't take the Christmas tree down in our home. Amy does it. Because for me growing up as a kid, when we took the Christmas tree down, it was almost kind of like a sign like, watch your back. Thing, you know, the mood in the room is changing. Um, and so for me, Christmas music from like, you know, when, when they used to sell like the Time Life collection when we were kids from that era. But that sort of a mixture of classical big band music with nostalgia, it, it kind of, and, and of course, anytime you get into particularly traditional Christmas songs, there's going to be a worship element there kind of touches every one of those niches for me. So if I had to pick one and only one genre of music that I could not live without, as much as I would really, really make you clutch John Williams' Superman score from my cold, dead fingers, okay? But if we're talking one genre of music, it would be that classical era of Christmas music. That was a fascinating, fascinating uh, answer, both of you. Um, I, I think for me, I agree with Todd. It's it's classical music, which I, which I would define. I'm sure there's a better definition that I should probably know, which I would define as as symphonic and in nature and and in, um, I guess motivation. Uh, for me, a, a specific era within classical music would probably be the romantic. Uh, era, which is after the broke and after the classical era, um, post-war, post-Great War era, though, like the 1920s. Um, Talking like swing music on. that era? No, that's that's big bands. So okay. classical, so uh, classical music. Um, uh, that I mean, Nessun Dorma is one of the well-known songs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's some uh, the really really good music that came out even even last century. So. I think it's classical music, but uh, romantic um, and early romantic, I think, are, are probably the best two eras. You know, it's fascinating, too, because you say you like 80s music, Steve, but, you know, Led Zeppelin, the Beatles to some extent, mm-hmm. uh, which I know that's before the 80s. Um, you know, they were uh, they had some influences there. Beatles, Beatles pioneers of, of symphonic rock. There were mm-hmm. some elements. It's not straight classical music, but there yeah. were some elements uh question three what's the most i mean i heard just let me speak one of the i i the the best moment i've ever had at a concert was uh back in 1995 page and plant robert page and jimmy uh, robert uh, jim robert plant and jimmy page toured together as a mini led zeppelin reunion and they still have never played Stairway to Heaven since John Bonham died in 1980 or 81, I think it was. They haven't played it since then, but they toured together 
with, a, and it was essentially a mini Led Zeppelin reunion, and they came up and played up at Iowa State University at Hilton Coliseum, and I had uh, spent basically every last dime I had from a car accident settlement to get some of the best seats in the arena. And their encore that night is they played Cashmere, accompanied by the local symphony orchestra. Oh my goodness! And it made it would it made the hair in the back of your neck oh, I stand up. I yeah. can. I, it, it, it's almost the only moment of that entire concert I can instantly recall is is that adjoinment how powerful that was just to go what you were well, talking about in terms of the modern era I what mid 60s to early 70s bookended by Beatles and Zeppelin mm-hmm. I think to be in the middle of because I don't think I don't think anybody could say after the mid 70s and give an answer that isn't silly. Uh, quite frankly, and not that there hasn't been great music, but in terms of an era, everything I, is essentially it, since then a derivative of that era. Correct. Yep. Even the '80s synth era is a derivative of the Sgt. Pepper's kind of correct. synth era that the Beatles introduced. Everything's a derivative. Everything in pop music right. we have done, with the exception of maybe hip hop, although it samples a lot of the songs from that era, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So pretty much everything is a derivative of from when the Beatles landed in the United States in 1964 to about 1977, 1978. Everything else that we've had in pop music ever since has been a derivative of what took place in that era. Correct. Yeah. Uh, question three, what's the most recent TV show you've watched that's otherwise popular, but you hate it? Huh. I'm, I'm trying to think. Because I don't do a lot of... I'm do, I don't do a lot of TV shows, particularly on network TV. Um, do you have one? I, I'm trying to think cause, because I'm in the same boat i don't watch a lot of tv that's not. i'm trying to think of what did i did i watch something recently that we tried to watch a documentary on netflix the other night why did you kill me that was like trending number one on netflix oh yeah and and then you, you get 15 minutes in the documentary and you realize you're sorry right. that the girl got killed but the family's a bunch of drug dealing thug hooligans i mean there's no nobody good Right. It basically it, it suddenly devolves into a sequel to the um, the wonderful whites of West Virginia. You guys want to see a documentary that'll blow your mind. That you will remember for the rest of your life. All right. You want to see what happens when deliverance is a documentary? No, I don't. <laughs> what, did you, what kind of sales pitch was that? You're like so earnest about it. No, the, the wonderful whites. I think is what it, that's what it's called. The wonderful whites of West Virginia will put you on your backside, man. That, oh, that's okay, so... that, that documentary <laughs> will have you reevaluating a lot of things about the, the sanctity of human life and the Imago Day. It'll have you, you'll, you'll be thinking, I don't know, maybe there's some exceptions. Okay, I mean, that documentary, dude, it'll, it'll crush you, but you, and you can't turn away from it either. Um, but uh, this documentary on Netflix that we tried to watch, Why Did You Kill Me? That was trending and popular. We thought I would give it a, we, all right, we'll, we'll give it a shot. It ended up essentially going, you find out now that, you know, the reason, basically, I'm going to spoil it for you because I'm going to save save you. It's, it's, it's terrible. The point of the show is that the family is a bunch of terrible uh, uh, inbred degenerates. And because they all have criminal records, including the mom, all right, who's like full full blower Angie Dickinson, uh, big bad mama went you went to prison for meth dealing. 
the entire since the whole family has criminal records and some of them are still criminally active, they wouldn't they would not cooperate with police on solving their daughter's murder. Said, and, and so they, it, the only way it got solved is they had to create like their own Facebook. Or it was a MySpace page, pretending to be to be the murdered daughter, hitting on gang members to find out which one. I mean, it's just it. it, it it's. Do you remember Eight Millimeter? I the never Nick, saw it with but Nick, Nick Cage and Walking Phoenix. I hear that's very and, disturbing. And, yes, as well. and the classic Walking Phoenix line when you dance with the devil, the devil don't change, changes you. The premise of that film is Nick Cage, his daughter, I believe, gets kidnapped, and he tries to find her, and he's an investigator himself, and he ends up uh, going through the human trafficking, the underworld of human trafficking, and snuff films, and it's just it's dark on dark, man. You know what I mean? It, uh, that movie is dark on dark. This documentary is that, and we ended up just ejecting about 15 or 20 minutes in so i'll go with that on netflix the uh i think it's still being made it's in the next season or something but it was this uh story about this girl chess player yeah i know what you're talking about yeah Uh, it was and it had been out for a little while and people were raving about it and we were in between shows and so my wife and i watched the first episode i hated the first episode Uh, i just utterly uh, derivative nonsense. Uh, so I guess that's the most recent. I one give you I can two remember. more that I just came to mind. I tried watching Yos. Is it Yosemite or Yosemite Ye- or I- Yellowstone? Yellowstone. Oh. Okay. I tried watching it. I know you're into it. I just I I couldn't. I I I got to two, the. I I just didn't care about any character. I like I didn't like anybody. I didn't care about anybody, and we ended there's, up ejecting. Okay. There's a high body count. I know. I just I. What I need you done with Steve Dace. I need Steve Dace needs a high body count with a redeemable character. Okay, they're in there. If there's a redeemable character, then then I justify the body count because everybody had it coming, right? But I I just I had to, we got through two episodes and we were like, wow, I, we just could not get into it. And um, the Expanse is one we tried to watch a few months ago, which would seem to be right up my alley, sci-fi world building and stuff. But the first episode or two were so boring. And then you go online, you read reviews, and they're like, yeah, the first episode's not that good, but then, or the first season, but then Amazon picked it up directly, and it got better after that. I'm like, I don't want to watch 15 episodes of a show, only to then find out that it's good. Now, apparently it's good for some folks, because I think it's like in its fifth season now. But I, I tried to get into The Expanse, man, and I mean, I was like Ted Cruz during the Biden speech last night. Yeah. I think for me, it's um, Super Bowl 55. That was... <laughs> Nice. A very popular TV show that I did not enjoy. Um, well played. Dang, we got time for a dangling participle. Yes. Going back to the music question. We're going to make a lot of people mad probably with this question. Do you, do you, do you think hip hop is music or is it poetry? It's music. Is this a debate? Am I, is this a, I'm too old for this then. First of all, our generation is where hip hop came out of our generation. Maybe a better question. Is rap music? It's just another uh, lyrical approach set to music. So yeah, I would say, sure, it's music. Whether or not it's good music, there were times in my life I thought it was really good music. I'm not at one of those times in my life necessarily right now. I think back to the great line Bruce Willis has in The Last Boy Scout when um, they've got him captured and they said, we're going to make you scream. What Do you remember, do you remember how he replied? Play some rap music. Play, play some rap music, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, but... Um, I mean, there was a time in my life I was all, I mean, I was into the East Coast with Public Enemy and, 
probably knew way too many words to the uh, West Coast stuff with NWA and stuff like that and Dr. Dre. I don't, you know, it was a long time ago now in a galaxy far, far away. I think I hear uh, what you're laying down there, Aaron. If And if you accept the premise that classical is the pinnacle and it is it is just music and to the degree that music progressed from there uh lyrics were just an accessory to that in rap that is not true the lyrics are pr- always primary mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i i i i mean i'm not saying this in any pejorative sense so i think it, i was gonna say are you sure you guys just aren't racists or that sure okay sure. so i think okay. the but then you listen to some I mean, where the music is obviously more foundational and better than others in some rap music. So, but they do it, you know, they, they unapologetically do a ton of sampling. So, you know, they just, it's there. They, the words there are even primary, even when the music gets better, they're just taken from somebody else a lot of times. So I, I don't know. Is that, am I kind of yeah, where you yeah. are? Yeah. I, I would say, uh, I would say some rap is music and some is not. If, if the ratio of just beat and, um, I, I don't know the, the level of screaming is higher than the level of musicality, but if there's a good mix there, I would say it's musical, but if it's just, basically noise it's 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 not music that's just noise it's more more akin to more akin to um poetry if anything so essentially if you like it it's music and if you don't it's not correct okay yeah he is gonna make a great middle-aged white guy (laughs) (laughs) he's already there i was just gonna say maybe he's already there aaron mcintyre at 50 should we be fortunate you know what Finally have a, lo- a lawn uh, as of this weekend. Uh, so you are moving this weekend? Yeah. yeah. Well, partly. Okay. I'm out of town. Okay. No, I mean, I really am, but I would also be out of town if I really weren't. <laughs> right. I respect that. Okay. Uh, dude, is it a dude code violation to ask your buddies to help you move? No. No? No. I kind of think it is. Well, then you're not really a buddy. But what if... I have a leather couch on the third story of an apartment complex. Does pizza cut it then? I mean, it's also not a, you're not, you're not an indentured servant because you're a buddy. It's also within the dude code to say, yeah, that I can't. I mean, you don't have to make it a priority. All right. So, okay. All right. If you're doing nothing and you pass and happen, who's legitimately okay. a buddy. Okay. Not Keith Hernandez. Nice reference. It's a great Seinfeld reference. So it, it, moving the leather couch with reclining ends, of course, up three flights of stairs yep. in an apartment complex around yep. a narrow corridor is pizza enough. I don't know if come with a quarter zone shot. All right. Um, but uh, um, all right. So I think we found, we're on to something here. It's not a dude code violation to ask. But if you get a if you get a if you get a negative, it is a dude code violation to like press. To like try or, to oh, put absolutely. on some level of guilt oh, yeah. or, or to hold it against him. Yeah. Right. All right. Okay. Even if you know, you know that you know, and he knows that you know, and he knows that you know that you know, that he doesn't have anything going on this weekend. He just doesn't want to help you move. It's still okay. It's okay. You know, he, holding it against you, like personally, but if you don't expect some blowback, expect a little while you realize you're just a lazy SOB or something like that. Because then. this, in my younger days, this was a major debate amongst our guy group. Was it a dude code violation to ask your buddies to help you move, right? I can't. Because that, that, we, we moved a lot more when we were younger, right? And so 
this was this was a big debate. Is it a dude code violation to even ask? I, I, I don't even understand why that's a big debate. Because right, the the implication is you kind of have to say yes. Well, no, that's there's like an implied a, level no. of, of shaming guilt, and that's you know chicks do that. We don't do that to each other. Well, do chick, we? Well, I think well, chicks parse this conversation the way we are now. That's what <laughs> chicks do. Who, you can't suddenly Does go. This conversation become a dude code violation. Is that what you're saying? You can't suddenly go from the locker room to like, can I ask him to move or not? No, that's not how this. Aside works. from my own children, the reason I want to see America survive another couple of decades is just Aaron McIntyre at fifty. Is, is, is the great prophet Elton John once saying, a barrel full of monkeys and my old lady, she don't care. I mean, Aaron McIntyre at 50, can you imagine how ornery of a cuss he would be at 50? I can, and I'm into it. Parents, listen up. Here's what your kids are being taught in school. You know what? I don't have to tell you that. If you're watching, listening to a show like this, you're well aware of it. But you're probably wondering, what options do I have? Well... How about our friends over at Freedom Project Academy, built on Judeo-Christian values with a classical curriculum, meaning they're taught with inculcation, not indoctrination. They're taught how to think, not what to think. They're encouraged to critically think, not uh, be uh, indoctrinated lemmings. This is how the founding generations of the country were educated as well. And so that's how they do things at Freedom Project Academy. It's dedicated to providing mastery of subject matter, not propaganda. If you want to get more information, and our son Noah attended this for several years, so I would recommend that you do, uh, go to freedomforschool.com. Again, that's freedomforschool.com and get a free information packet today. There's a reason the average high school graduate is entering college reading at a seventh grade level. Don't let that happen to your kid. All right. Freedomforschool.com. Get a real education. Find out more today at freedomforschool.com. Let's get a real education from our weekly prophet of woe and lamentation. It is good to see you again. Daniel Horowitz, brother, how are you? I'm doing all right. I'm just warning you, Steve. Thursday is even more woe and lamentation than Wednesday. It's 24 more built up hours of pent up <laughs> frustration and, and venom. We feel feel free to spew as you see fit. Uh, let's begin and just I, you know, I had to watch Biden's speech last night. Otherwise, I would not have. But I had to because I was going to be on the Blaze TV uh, post game show, I guess we'll call it. But I, I watched it without the sound on. And just visually, it looked like if it wasn't in HD, I mean, just how elderly he looked, how elderly Nancy Pelosi looked, how dead the room looked. It, it almost looked like we were watching archival footage um, from the future, this is what America looked like in its death throes. Uh, you know, I, I mean, it, it really, it looked old. I, I just don't know what, what else to say. It just, it looked kind of played out. But well, let's start with Biden's speech. Any thoughts you have about it? So, so Steve, I actually think that the aura of the speech mattered more than the content, as you as you noted. I mean, just from a purely writing standpoint, not even a delivery standpoint, just a writing standpoint. There was nothing uplifting. Um, there was no nothing that was rhetorically um, inspiring in any way. But I think the more important thing is this. His speech exemplified 
where the left is. Not so much because it was the most radical content, but because he's a corpse. Because the left achieved the construction of a system that doesn't rely on a leader. Typically, when you have the Fourth Reich, you're going to have a charismatic dictator that right. gets up there. This is pure American fascism. This is fascism American style. You have a guy who is a corpse gets up there, but he doesn't matter. It's the amalgamation of every county to state to federal health department, nameless, faceless bureaucrat, nameless, faceless chamber of commerce, uh, CEOs, um, media figures, the masters of the universe all getting together, but there's no one really to hit at. And the guy who's usually the cent centerfold of anything in politics, which is the president, is carrying the, the banner for that, but is nothing but a corpse because he didn't make the system. Even a more charismatic version of him, Obama, didn't make the system. The system made him. Hmm. Tim Scott's rebuttal last night. Now, I did not get a chance to watch this. Uh, I had to be ready and prepped for Blaze TV as he was getting ready to talk. And because Biden ended up giving us the longest first year, we'll call it a State of the Union address, any president ever has. 62 minutes. And I really had to give the White House apothecary uh, some mad props for pulling that one off. There was only one, one moment last night where Biden had this like double blink I don't know what it looked like with the sound on, but with the sound off, I got out of my chair like, oh, no, he's stroking out. And then he kind of like went right back into his. his all right. But so mad props to the White House apothecary for pulling that thing off last night for 62 minutes. There is one clip of Scott's rebuttal that I found fascinating because of what he said. Uh, you know, let me make this, you know, very clear. America is not a racist country. And what I found interesting about that is. You know, he hails from, we used to call it the establishment. I don't know what the GOP establishment kind of is really right now. Post-Trump is Trump now the establishment. I don't know. How about, so how about we call it the professional class? Is that fair? And, and the professional class doesn't care about issues. They care about narr narrative and biography. That's what they look to sell. And whether guys like you and I like him or not, or his liberty score sucks or not, which it does, um, but whether or not those things are true, I don't think that was a good night for Nikki Haley last night because they're running kind of in the same 2024 kind of lane. And to hear uh, a black guy from the South with the sharecropper uh, history and get up there and say, America is not a racist country. There's a lot of Americans from a lot of various persuasions that want to hear that, that are that hate the racialism stuff, can't stand it. And so I thought the fact that they got a guy that frankly has been a uh, at best has been a panderer on the race stuff. He was terrible on it last year during the riots and everything else. For him to get up there and draw that line, I thought was a powerful political moment. I think it also signified that the political class maybe is realizing they've got to adjust some of their own equilibrium here uh, of what they what their candidates are and are not willing to say. But what do you think about all that, Daniel? So, so Steve, it might sound like I'm disagreeing a little bit, but I agree with your point that if you are in the GOP lane, that was a very effective Republican message that perfectly exemplified the Republican message. As I said, that Biden's perfectly exemplified the Democrats, that it's very decentralized, a corpse um, representing the most radical system. What I mean by that is this. The Democrats take us three light years off the spectrum into pure libertine dystopian hell. <laughs> Republicans get schlepped along with that. All along, 
their narrative, their parlance. I'm not a racist. I'm not a racist. No, no, no. Race, race. Let's talk about race, race. And then they walk it back three steps. And then that ground, they have like a WWE style fight. And they're like, claw at each other. And then the left responds to it. And, and and then and then that guy becomes a hero to the right because of their response, which is exactly what happened last. That's time. exactly so, what's going on right now. It, well, it well that started perfect. before this speech when they said, "Well, are you really? Yeah. What, you know, sharecropping was it really that bad or something?" Is what yeah. some reporter was was so, was trying so to pull on him, right? Because they have to attack him because you got to get market share. Mm-hmm. So Republicans have to disagree on something in some way. So no, outdoors, masked, when you're vaccinated, shouldn't happen. And children should be back in school, masked. Um, you know, that's where we are. I, I went through on, on my show in great deal. I, I, I pulled apart every word of his speech. Um, what he did on every issue is he agreed to the premise. Right. He championed what they did. The five bipartisan bills. The, his only complaint is that they take it to the sixth bill Mm -hmm. and don't want to work with the Republicans on it. But the five that enabled number six, which did everything, gave them the governors all the money and didn't have a precondition to to open the schools, as he noted. He's fine with it. Then the race stuff. We're not a racist, but we are discriminatory towards blacks. Now, he didn't say it in those words, but he used the word discrimination. He said the healing still hasn't been completed I don't understand what that means, but then he explained it. He says that he's he's been looked at and and pulled over by cops, validating the narrative. Remember, this is a man, and I know I'm going to have a dissenting view on this from everyone else, but this is a man that three years ago scuttled two of Trump's best judicial nominees. One of them, his name was uh, Bounds from Oregon. He had a college paper out where he just wrote how terrible it is to have these sectarian race identity like clubs. He's like, you know, whites have seemed to do fine without an Aryan nation club. Why do we need all these other ones? And really, that is Scott's message that he said broadly, but directed towards a specific thing that matters. And Scott was just flew off the panhandle. And blocked the nomination. Then he blocked another one later because he worked for Senator Jesse Helms. And evidently, you're not allowed to um, uh, work for Jesse Helms as a conservative. Uh, That's a no-no in in Tim Scott's version of conservatism. So in many ways, Tim Scott is the perfect version of Nikki Haley, the more effective version of it. But that version means acceding to everything the left does, promoting it. Um, you know, he he had this whole video about wearing masks last July 4th. But then when the left takes it three jogs too extreme, boy, are they going to get ticked off about that? Mm-hmm. That's the Republican Party for you. So where are we right now after the much ballyhooed and hyped up CDC uh, you know, masking guideline revisions, all right, that were just, again, beyond ridiculous. There's an amazing clip that I shared yesterday of Chris Cuomo, of all people, on CNN, grilling panic porn priest Andy uh, Slavitt, who now works for the Biden White House. But last year, uh, I, I mean, I, I mean, it was just, it was a, ma- his, his, his Twitter feed was literally, uh, it was it was a masturbatory exercise towards COVID. I mean, the guy just w- was just getting busy with himself uh, with panic porn for COVID. 
And, and, and here's Chris Cuomo. He asks him not once, not twice, not three times, four times in five minutes. Four times he tries asking him in five minutes, I'm fully vaccinated. Why am I wearing a mask? Why is anybody who's fully vaccinated wearing a mask? Why aren't fully vaccinated people told go back to full normal of human life? And Slavit won't answer it and get, get, or gives a dodge or some, well, you know, there's still a lot we don't know, you know, some euphemism uh, the entire time. So where are we at with this right now, do you think? Where we're at, so it's funny, we're coming up on 100 days to wear a mask. About, I think it's over the weekend, the 100 days will expire. It won't expire, but we'll, we would have reached that milestone. And this has been debunked more than we could have even imagined because during that time, all the states that got rid of it, <clears throat> their numbers went down. And the top seven states with ho- hospitalizations per capita are all the strongest mass states. Six, Everyone except for Michigan is contiguous in the mid-Atlantic from D.C., Maryland, Delaware, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York. Yeah, I, I wonder why, what, what that has to do with it. Um, yeah, some geography there. But, but Steve, it doesn't matter. We're at a point where facts don't matter because they never mattered because Tim Scott and the Republicans indulged the same illogical, immoral, inhumane, illegal idea for 14 months. So now when you're like, well, we're vaccinated. Yeah, but it's part of the culture already. We are already doing it for no good reason. But I think you bring up a good point. I would venture to say there might be an element of the left just from a libertine perspective. We thought this would uh, come to the foray. Yeah, we thought this was going to happen last summer, right? It seems to be happening like right now. Yes. But I think they're more likely to push back than the Tim Scott's of the world um, in in a more categorical way um, because they have guts. And when they actually believe something that might be common sense, they'll actually fight for it, which is why a Bill Maher is going to be a greater ally for us headed forward than many of our traditional friends. I mean, that's just the reality of it's a, a very sorry state of of conservatism, because even even these guys, they're mainly saying kids should be back in school. And that battle was won already. Um, um, they're maybe say, talking about masks outdoors, um, but they are not being as categorical as Chris Cuomo is. I don't hear Mitch McConnell saying that. I don't hear any of these guys saying that. So I think that's the interesting thing. I was wondering how much the left could keep up this stoicism um, just from a personal mm-hmm. level. So, Steve, I still stand by my uh, original assessment that the mass mandates will be there forever in the culture. But the only thing that could possibly get rid of it is the left, because the phony right certainly will not. Daniel, good to see you again, brother. Thank you very much. Take care. You bet. If you are struggling with uh, whether it could be the back, knees, neck, shoulder pain, wherever you have chronic issues of stiffness, soreness, etc. And that's not, you know, we're not talking about a medical situation, an injury. If you have an injury, go get professional medical help. But if you're dealing with uh, stiffness and soreness of the chronic variety, chances are your underlying cause is likely inflammation. And you want to defeat that inflammation before it causes permanent damage. Thankfully, you've got a product that is brilliant, can help you do that. I use it. It's called Omega XL. Backed by 35 years of clinical research, it helps attack the inflammation that's causing your pain. Those topical rubs, pain relievers, they they help mask the symptoms. That's why they sell so much of that stuff, but they don't 
deal with the actual problem. That's why you need to try Omega XL. And if you want to get started right now, order Omega XL and get a second bottle for free when you visit OmegaXL.com slash Steve. That's OmegaXL.com slash Steve or give them a call 800-844-4888. That's 800-844-4888. Again, that's 800-844-4888 or OmegaXL.com slash Steve. Any thoughts on the conversation Daniel and I just had before we uh, get out of here for Thursday? The best case scenario, and I, I still cringe talking about 2024, the best case scenario, I think, for 2024 is if uh, the trio of Liz Cheney, Nikki Haley, and Tim Scott run. Agree or disagree? Hmm. So they all cancel each other out? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. 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 Uh, I, okay. Sure. Yeah. I'm most interested in what how he started off talking about what a profoundly American tyranny we are witnessing because we don't have the single charismatic leader. Mm-hmm. It's and this is why I say progressivism is cancer. I mean it is it it just riddles the entire body. Uh and that is something that you can see all kinds of Americans can return to normal, return to normal. Common sense will prevail. Will comp? No, 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 no. I, uh, I'm more optimistic than he is. Well, evergreen. This is uh, the most fascinating thing about you this entire year. Being more optimistic you than have, Daniel is not easy. It's not a hard thing to accomplish. But even more than Aaron and I, you you see the potential for healing in places that I often don't, and I'm intrigued by that. I don't. It, it's I, it's because I just I, I'm I, I see actual evidence of it because I've I've got more emails in my inbox from Naomi Wolf I haven't had a chance to reply or respond to yet. Um, it's it's because. It's because of what he said and you're talking about that this thing, it's because there's not one charismatic leader who has then figured out who the, who their fake bad guys are going to be and targeted all their angst at those groups. And they can get, they can get a wide collection of people united behind that angst, even if they don't agree with everything, but they don't like that group of people either. You know what I'm saying? Because it's more systemic and attacking everything. Joe Rogan, the mobs after him now. Bill Maher, the mob goes after him. This is why I have I, I have some hope because um, they're crapping where they live now, and I think that's where people are like, "Hey, not my house." You know what I'm saying? Sure. It's one thing to do that at, at, over at Trump's and his people's house, but not over here at my house. We don't do that stuff here. John three seventeen. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.